We're coming up on two minutes past the hour of six o'clock. And uh, this is one of those nights that uh, the kind of ominous tones in this Duke Ellington's version of Caravan, it's kind of sort of apropos. This is the Mark Riley Show. My name is Mark Riley. And we got a lot of stuff to deal with here. I mean, lots and lots. Garner, CIA torture, a government deal. We're going to start with the government deal because we about 15 minutes in, we're going to be talking to a very special guest about that torture report. Uh, someone who knows from where he speaks because, number one, he uh, was a war crimes investigator. So uh, stick around for this. It's going to be very, very interesting. But uh, congressional leaders, ladies and gentlemen, have reached a deal on spending. Yay. Now, the media presents this as a good thing in the context of the last couple of Congresses not being able to do anything other than, you know, let the government shut down. So they say, well, you know, they've made a deal. Even if they don't get it done by Thursday, which is the deadline, they'll uh, uh, extend some spending for a little while. And and everybody will be happy and they'll sing Kumbaya on their way home for the Christmas recess. That's pretty much how this kind of stuff works. However, I I don't want to be the fly in the ointment. Jason, do I have to be the fly in the ointment? Yeah, I guess I do. I have to. I have to tell y'all what's going on here. Uh, With each one of these deals, somebody deserving gets boned. (laughs) Okay. Uh, In this case, it's college kids and the District of Columbia. What do I mean by that? Let me explain it for you so you understand. Now, the deal itself, by the way, is a big spending package. Uh, They wanted to have it done day before yesterday. But, of course, that didn't actually happen and come together till last night. Uh, The package would keep domestic funding at current levels. However, there'd be more money to fight crises abroad, including Ebola. That's not the bad thing about this deal. The House is expected to vote uh, tomorrow before they send it to the Senate. Short-term measure will provide the Senate cover and avoid a government shutdown if the Senate is unable to also pass the bill that day. Now, they'll get this done, and then they'll probably try to undo half of it when the Republicans take over the Senate in January. But I'll leave that to greater minds than mine to contemplate. Now, all the federal government would be funded. Hey, Jason, check this out. To show you the pretzel logic of the people we elect and send to Washington and then turn around and pay them good money. All right. This bill would fund almost all of the federal government through September of next year, except, except for the Department of Homeland Security. That only gets funded until February. Why? Because Republicans in Congress are retaliating for President Obama's unilateral action to defer the deportation of as many as many as 5 million undocumented immigrants. So they get mad about immigration and they short Homeland Security. And then, God forbid, something happens. What are they going to do? Turn around and point at Obama and say, you don't have the right people running Homeland Security. Well, never mind that we cut it on account of, or, or, or that. We're not going to fund it as long as uh, everything else in the government because we're mad at you for something. You know, 
this is this is the most infantile crap I've heard out of adults this side of the Jerry Springer show. It's amazing that elected elected officials act like this. But as they say in retail, but wait, there's more. And by the way, they're trying to get this legislation posted last night. Uh, This is probably the fastest this Congress, the 113th, has worked on anything. You know, you've heard the expression, do nothing Congress. It's defined by the last couple. They don't do anything. They got deadlines and cliffs and and, and and they create the cliffs themselves. It's amazing. It is utterly amazing. Now, we're talking here about $74 billion of this budget being spent on wars and other military overseas operations. More than half the overall package going to military spending. Now, think about that for a minute. Half is going to military spending. Really? Seriously? Do we have to? Do you, Hey, Jason, if they put it up to a referendum and said to the American, but do you want half the budget going to war? What do you think people would say? I'd say no. In fact, I'd say hell to the no. But I mean, I, that's just me. Maybe the rest of the country thinks differently. And we'll get into this a little bit later because I, you know, when it comes to the torture thing, I got friends who say some of the most outrageous things about that. But we'll leave that uh, for now. Now, the New York Times has an article about this spending bill. And, you know, the Times tries to be objective. Oh, yeah. Well, they got the Republicans got this and the Democrats got this and this one got this. And and it's all presented in the context of balance. But let me tell you something about balance. And by the way, what I'm about to say was introduced by Senator Tom Harkin, a man I truly respect. I actually had a chance to interview him a few years ago down in D.C. Thoughtful man. But I don't know what he was thinking. Get a load of this, Jason. This is part of this deal. They are cutting aid to college students. Okay. And you know where the money's going? To pay student loan contractors, the people that collect the money from the college kids. Duh, how'd that happen? What sense does that make? Now, mind you, this is the Pell Grant program. It would be cut by $303 million. 1.3%. Doesn't sound like much unless you're a family struggling to get your kid through college going to be cut to 22.5 billion so wait a minute let me let me get this straight so i i understand and i'm very clear and i i say this because i want you all to be very clear you know that what was that song hey hey boy that's where my money goes 74 billion for wars 22 and a half billion to educate students now a cynic and some have accused me of being one might just argue that the reason why they would be comfortable cutting Pell Grants is because maybe those kids will come out of college and they'll say, we ain't doing war anymore. And maybe they'll get elected to Congress instead of the fossils we got now. And maybe they'll say, you know what? Half the budget to war is too much. We ain't doing it anymore. 
Maybe that's why. But yes, they are cutting it by $303 million to 22.5. Now, lawmakers are going to spend a trillion dollars on this spending bill. So why would they do this? And, and see, here's the thing. Even if you say that, you know, economics or the way the wind blows or whatever means we got to cut Pell Grants. Why would you give the money to loan servicers, companies that counsel borrowers, set them up for repayment plans and collect their monthly checks? They're getting the reward from this. They'll get up to seven hundred twenty one million. It's an eight million dollar cut, but a nearly forty four million dollar increase compared with 2013. And these loan services, by the way, haven't always been the greatest actors in the universe. In terms of how they deal with people, by the way, 23 percent of loans in the government main student loan program are either delinquent or in default, according to a presentation at the beginning of this month by the Education Department. And, you know, I don't know. Federal officials say that some of these services mistreat borrowers, hurt taxpayers. State attorneys general are probing their allegedly anti-consumer practices and we're giving them more money. Hey, Jason, how does that work? Incompetence pays. Acting shysty pays. And you all know what I mean when I say shysty. If you don't, you can feel free to look it up. It's just it's 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 ridiculous. Our priorities are ridiculous. Let me just say that. I mean, we got a segment called to the ridiculous and we'll get to that later on. But this is it's just it's an, it's an outrage. So that's one downside of the Kumbaya one trillion dollar spending bill that everybody in Congress is going to hug themselves and slap slap themselves on the back. Democrats and Republicans alike saying how wonderful they are for getting this done. I say, maybe not so much. But here's the other part that people are getting. You ever hear these people, Jason, talking about the will of the American people? The American people don't want to spend another dime on health care. The American people want to get rid of the affordable. The American people, the American people, the American people. And then the Congress, which for un for some unexplained reason, still has complete control over the nation's capital, the District of Columbia. They decide to, like, throw out a referendum that would have legalized marijuana. Now, this isn't about whether or not you think weed or, you know, everybody in the district ought to be smoking weed and there ought to be a cloud over Union Station. It's not about that. How the deuce do you say on the one hand that you respect the will of the people, the will of the public, when the public voted and said they wanted to make something legal? And and the Times, (laughs) God love them, turn around and say, well, uh, yeah, they, they did get rid of it. But on the other hand, they they allowed them to decriminalize it. Hallelujah. What the deuce is this about? You're going to sit there and tell me that these people. And I, maybe I shouldn't say these people. I, I've always thought that was an overly pejorative term. 
but that these elected officials, because they got nothing else to do. And by the way, I'm not making this part of it up. Jason, listen to this. Listen to this line. Why did they do this? Congressman John Fleming of Louisiana, a Republican, said when he asked when he was asked why he was opposing D.C.'s decriminalization law, he said, quote, this is the only place I have a say. (laughs) Can you imagine this? Can you get next to this? So, as I said, college kids and the district both get shafted by this trillion-dollar spending bill. And, uh, you know, uh, there's no excuse. There is no excuse giving money to loan contractors when half your budget's going to wars and overseas military operations. And you're going to cut Pell Grants? Come on. Come on. It makes no sense to me. Now, maybe it makes sense to you. And and I have always said since I started this program, you ain't got to, excuse me, you don't have to agree with me. It's not required to listen. Uh, I know that there are people who listen because they tell me, because they're friends, who disagree with me about virtually everything political. They're just not into my kind of politics. Doesn't mean we're not friends. We're always going to be friends. Some of these people I've been friendly with for 30 years. You don't have to agree with me, but as far as I'm concerned, college kids that get Pell Grants and the District of Columbia are getting shafted, shafted by this new budget. Five years in the making, the CIA torture report came out, and it has triggered what I guess is the usual partisan divide, with a couple of exceptions like John McCain, for example. Is it torture? Should these people who conducted these activities be condemned or commended? Joining us to talk about this is a professor of applied criminology at California University of Pennsylvania. He is the author of the book, The Devil's Garden, a war crimes investigator's story. He is Dr. John Sensich. How are you, sir? I'm just fine, Mark. Yourself? Good, good. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. You have pretty broad experience in investigating war crimes and that sort of thing. Um, Could you, to start out, define for you what torture is? Right. Well, I, I spent four years as a war crimes investigator working for the United Nations at The Hague, and torture investigations, uh, they constituted one of our uh, uh, our most focused investigations. They're not an easy investigation by uh, any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But basically, uh, torture is the intentional infliction of psychological or physiological harm or pain, and um, and it has to be something more than legal sanctions. I mean, if it's apprehending the person and they're injured, um, they're handcuffed, um, these types of things don't constitute torture. It has to be serious. Mm-hmm. I think if you, if you look at the United States Code, uh, it, it specifically, in, the, in parentheses, in the parenthetical there, says other than lawful sanctions. But it's not just hurting somebody. Uh, there are other things that we have to try to to ascertain in order to determine whether or not a particular act 
actually was torture for purposes of, of criminal prosecution. And that is, what was the intent? Why did the actor, the offender, why did they inflict that psychological or physiological harm on the individual? Was it to elicit uh, information, intelligence information? Was it to, to get a confession? Was it for purposes of persecution based upon racial, national origin, ethnic? So there has to be, there, there are more than, uh, it's more than simply hurting an individual. Mm-hmm. Doctor, does it make sense um, for people to say, and I've heard a lot of this from people, um, that after 9-11, uh, America was living in extraordinary times uh, and that uh, we needed to get intelligence from people who we had captured. And therefore, what torture was, well, I mean, some people, did. Uh, Dick Cheney says it's not even torture. But let's say for the sake of argument, whatever uh, procedures they used to extract that information, those procedures were justified. Good idea, bad idea. Well, it's not as simple as that. It's a good question, but it's not as simple as that. I think that uh, you have to look at at whether or not the, a particular action by the the detainee or the information that's that's attempted to be obtained from that uh, detainee, whether or not it, there's an imminent danger. So it's one thing to have somebody in custody and and to say, well, let's we're going to torture this individual, or we're going to have enhanced interrogation techniques to get information that could be used later during a criminal prosecution. That's one thing, and that certainly isn't justified. The next scenario, I'm not saying, I'm not giving my personal opinion as to whether it's justified or not, but to say that you have an individual and you have knowledge, the the investigators, and hopefully it's investigators that are doing this, and not uh, in this world, the people who know how to do these interviews and interrogations are professional criminal investigators. When you have others that come in, and I understand that they had contractors and others that came in, uh, that that does beg the question as to their qualifications. Mm -hmm. I personally don't know about those qualifications, but at least we know that from the media that these questions are being raised. So, uh, if, if there's an imminent threat and these enhanced interrogation techniques are being used to, to, to gather information that can be distilled or synthesized or turn into, turned into actionable intelligence, some people would say that this is justified. And that's not my, necessarily my, my own opinion, mm-hmm. because uh, nevertheless, a person can be prosecuted for that because there, there's not an exemption under the law that says if you're doing it for this greater good, that it's, that it's lawful. Although there are defenses that are recognized under the common law, the common law of England that uh, is pervasive in our country and in many other countries, and that's the def- defense of necessity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, breaking the law in order to uh, uh, evade or to avoid or eliminate a, a, a greater harm, that defense can be asserted in court and it can be considered as a mitigating circumstance. Mm-hmm. So um, there are certainly people that could say that it is justified. Is it justified by the black-letter law? Absolutely not. But what do you do if, what, if you have a child, for example, and that child you know is in a three-block radius and you have the, a serial killer and you know that that child is going to die. I mean, let's just, this, this is all hypothetical, of course. Mm-hmm. You know that that child is going to die. This person's already killed two children. And unless uh, there is exerted pressure, there's no way that uh, you're going to find that child. 
you know, what would somebody do if it was their child, or what would a government agent do to try to find that child? Does that is it mean it's legally justified? No. Is it a mitigating circumstance, or is, could a defensive necessity be later asserted in court? Probably yes. You know, you bring up a very interesting question. Um, and, and it's something that I'm going to refer to one of my very close friends, a guy I've known for a very long time. But he's a very conservative guy. And he posted a picture, very tragic picture, of a body uh, that was like in midair uh, at the World Trade Center on 9-11. And he said, this is why I don't care whether they used enhanced interrogation techniques. What do you, what do you say to something like that? Well, I mean, there's, there, it, I could say, I don't, if, if they want to listen into my telephone, if it's going to keep another a terrorist attack, I don't care. I don't care if they listen into my telephone. But as uh, someone who's a strong civil libertarian, and uh, there's no criticism of that because we need strong civil libertarians to say, well, no, that doesn't justify it. So we do have you know, differences of opinion. And I could say, uh, as, as, as an American, I don't want our country attacked again. Mm-hmm. But as a war crimes investigator, that doesn't mean that when, you, we, when I went out to, to do these investigations, and I, and I did, I interviewed people, I interrogated people, I interrogated terrorists, never used any of these techniques, very successful in eliciting incriminating responses and getting confessions. Um, so, uh, it, it, but does that justify it? You know, legally, it, it doesn't uh, justify it. Some people could certainly say hey, it's okay if our country isn't attacked again. But when I interview the suspect, we want to get that other side. So the person did torture somebody or they did harm somebody. Uh, that's something that can, uh, that can be elicited and can be documented. But um, mm-hmm. uh, it's a difficult, it's a dilemma. It's a, dile- a dilemma that we in this country, we're divided. We have differences of opinions. But I can tell you this for sure, that waterboarding and some of these other enhanced, uh, inter- so-called enhanced interrogation techniques, and I'm not casting any aspersions on anybody because, for that, for example, that report that's been released, I don't, I don't know anything about the veracity of that report, but I can tell you that waterboarding is torture, and and these other techniques do constitute torture. Does that mean that the the people, many of the people, men and women, the brave men and women of the CIA that were um, trying to protect this country, if they were um, following uh, legal advice that was given to them, uh, uh, presumably so. Uh, does that legal advice immunize them? Now, that's questionable um, as well. So there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of different perspectives on here, but I'm sure you're, you're covering that, Mark. Oh, yeah, we're trying. Our guest is Dr. John Sensich. He is professor of applied criminology at California University of Pennsylvania. Doctor, um, what do you make as uh, a professional in this field? Is it true that uh, intel that is gathered through torture is usually not good intelligence? Well, usually the, what you get is information. You don't, I mean, to be more technical, to be more specific and sophisticated, it's not the, uh, you don't get into intelligence. Intelligence is a process where you mm-hmm. take information from one source, from another source, you do link analysis. Uh, and again, I think I said that you, you synthesize that information, you distill it, you turn it into actionable, actionable intelligence. So, uh, but if you want to go to the root of the question, does, is any, does the information that comes as a result of this, well, I'm sure that there are some instances where there could be information that is derived from the use of these techniques. But 
I'll go back to what I had mentioned earlier. I've, I've interviewed and interrogated uh, many people, including terrorists and war criminals, and there's some semantics on the words, whether or not it's an interview or an interrogation. Really, it is an interrogation, although that throughout in other parts of the, uh, the world, when you use the word interrogation, it, it, it conjures up this uh, pejorative, uh, pejorative term of an oppressive atmosphere. But it can be done forensically. It can be done behaviorally. It can be done using sophisticated techniques that has a much that have a much higher chance of success in eliciting valuable information that can either be used as, as admission or confession in a criminal prosecution, if that's the ultimate goal, or it can be used as information together with other information that can be turned into actionable intelligence. So. Uh, confronting these situations from a m- much more sophisticated way, and I know that uh, f- from open source material that uh, investigators, whether they were the FBI or NCIS, that interviewed and interrogated people uh, uh, during uh, in the prosecution of the, of the global war on terror, they did use proper procedures, and they mm-hmm. also saw some of these other techniques being used, and they complained about them. Really? A, because they were unlawful, and B, because they have uh, very little chance of success. So what's the point? Now, let me ask you this, Doctor, um, because this Senate Intelligence Committee report essentially says that on certain things, the CIA straight up lied. Now, I don't know about most people, but um, my thing has been, you know, lying is part of what the CIA has to do or does uh, as, as part of what they do. Or am I just crazy? No, no, not at all. I was thinking about that today. Uh, Absolutely not. Most of what they do outside of the country is illegal. It may not be illegal under our laws, but, you know, if if they're wiretapping into a a foreign country or they're spying on a foreign intelligence service in that country, it's illegal. Mm -hmm. But that's that's what they're doing. And that's what other foreign intelligence services do to us. So um, they do engage in clandestine act- activities, and that's what they're supposed to do. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean that there's not limits to those clandestine activities, but um, they do. They lie. Uh, they use trickery. They're spies. Or well, no, they're not all operatives, <laughs> but uh, but that's what they do, and 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 all of our countries do it, and they do a, a good job. Of it. But now, should they it be com- doing it to Congress, though? Yeah, that's that's where I was coming to next. That's that's the next question. <laughs> I mean, it kind of reminds me of Oliver North, mm-hmm. and um, you know, should you be lying to uh, to Congress for the for the greater good? And you know, he was acting under, as you know, he was acting under higher orders, and eventually, it turned out to his benefit that he was um, um, his prosecution wasn't wasn't upheld, mm-hmm. but. Should they be doing that? I don't think so. Now, there's a big difference between what they should be doing, what they should be telling a, uh, a an intelligence committee in Congress, because they, all of those people have top-secret security clearances. In fact, they oversee the intelligence services, so they can be briefed as to whether or not they're using misinformation to the public. Well, that's a different thing altogether. But lying to uh, to Congress... Uh, I don't think so. And I, <laughs> I understand. Think that's problematic, right? Doctor, um, President Obama has reacted to this by saying, uh, in part, that torture and these kinds of things, including something called rectal infusion, which I'm still trying to figure out exactly what they're talking about. Uh, I think I know, but I, I don't want to prejudge. 
Uh, but he said, this is not us. And when he's talking about he's obviously talking about America. Right. Is there a danger here that other countries, friend and foe, will look at this report and say, yeah, this is America? Right. Well, there is that, that I think that we, we've passed that point. We have passed that point. But does it aggravate that perception? I think that's, that, that's what happens. I had to I had to look up the rectal um, rehydration myself, yeah. and I see that it is it does have good um, medical reasons for it when someone needs to be rehydrated and, and they're unconscious and they and for whatever reason they can't use IVs. But that's what you would do if I was if I as a war crimes investigator when I interviewed witnesses or even the suspect or the accused, I'd be trying to find out well why why was that done. Mm-hmm. Just because it was done doesn't make it per se illegal. There, there could have been a, uh, a medical reason for it, although the report alludes otherwise that it was done for, at least it alludes, and I, of course I haven't read out 600 pages of it, but it alludes to the fact that it was done for, to inflict um, pain. So the, there is an image for my working with the United Nations and working in many different countries, that I think we, 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 that image is already there. And people love Americans, I, I believe, but uh, sometimes they feel that we've gone too far. And this report, um, it's, it's going to aggravate that. Now, whether that report should have been released is another thing altogether. Mm-hmm. But um, the fact is, well, I shouldn't say the fact is, I was that according to the media, uh, Former or uh, General Powell, uh, former Secretary of State, he didn't want uh, these types of enhanced interrogation techniques. Yeah. And the reason that is is because as a soldier, he knows that under the Geneva Conventions, there's a, a way that we're supposed to treat our detainees. Of course, some of the legal opinions that were written by people that I would uh, I would suggest aren't. Uh, particularly acquainted with the Geneva Conventions, but nevertheless <laughs> writing the legal opinion saying that, well, these individuals don't technically fall into the Geneva, Geneva Conventions, therefore uh, these techniques don't constitute uh, torture under those conventions. But that really kind of, that's kind of telling, isn't it? That, yeah. that, that they know that it's not the thing to do, but this is a way to get around it. Yeah, loophole. (laughs) Generally, they call it a loophole. Dr. John Sensich, this has been a joy uh, talking with you. We really appreciate your time. I know you got to run because you got an appointment in a few minutes. So thank you so much, and I hope we can call on your expertise again in the future. You certainly can. Take care now. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. John Sensich, he is professor of applied criminology at California University of Pennsylvania, also the author of the book The Devil's Garden, a war crimes investigator's story. So uh, we got, who was that just holding on the line? Oh, okay. All right. Fantastic. Let, let's talk to Ike. Ike wants to talk about the budget. He's calling from South Carolina. The number to call, 888-874-4888. Ike, how you doing, my friend? Yeah. Hey, Mark. Uh, yeah, the budget, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I hope it gets filibustered and they have to throw through a uh, stopgap. Uh, there's cuts to uh, social programs. There's cuts to the IRS, the EPA. Mm-hmm. There's uh, there's uh, changes in the derivatives rules on Wall Street to let them boys go back to gambling and putting must putting the taxpayers more on the hook for their losses. Uh, there's just a number of things in there that Republicans have out, you know. And and I'm tired of this game. You know, this this, this budget thing always comes up to the last minute. 
and somebody's got a gun on somebody else, and they're going, well, where do you want it? Do you want it in the head, or do you want it in the leg? Well, you know, I got, is- I, let me ask you a question, though. Um, yeah. All right, we know the Republicans are willing to do this. What about the Demo- What What is the responsibility of Democrats in all this? Well, I'm sick of both sides doing it, but uh, the responsibility of Democrats at this point is to oppose it. And 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 if it takes, but they help write it, Ike. They help write this stuff. It's been negotiated in the House, but it hasn't been negotiated in the Senate. But beyond that, beyond that, what they're what they're this is the quote coming from Reed's office, and Reed's saying basically his people are saying, well, you know what? If you would have seen what they wanted to do, you would be happy with what we're gonna do. And I'm sorry, but that's no, uh, you know, he needs to grow a set because... Uh, I, that's American- exactly what I'm talking about. Whoa! Well, you know what it is? It's like the transit fare here, okay? They decide, yeah. they start out proposing raising the fare a dollar, okay? And right. then they have a bunch of public hearings. People get up, they scream, they pound their fists. And then the, the same people who say, well, we're going to raise it a dollar, say, well, we'll raise it 75 cents. And they think everybody should treat them like they're heroes, for God's sake. Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, uh, let me move over to this last uh, guess that you had here. Uh, look, you know, I'm tired of people using $20 words. It's real simple. There's a thing called the Geneva Convention that we're signatory to. We prosecuted other countries' troops for doing the exact same thing that we did to these people. I don't care if you hired private contractors and you find a legal loophole that says, well, you know, uh, you know, we, 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 these were subcontractors, so therefore it's up to, you know, it's on them and it's not on us. You know, this is akin to me, you know, when I listen to this kind of crap, it's akin to me listening to somebody tell me that, well, you know, Hitler's lawyer said it was okay to do what they did to the Jews, so that makes it legal. Bull crap. It was terror. It, it was torture, pure and simple. I don't want to hear no more whitewashing of this enhanced interrogation uh, and techniques and, uh, you know, this this whitewashing language that they're using is crap. They broke the law, and by God, they ought to go. There ought to be a legal remedy for this. And this goes back to everything that's going on right now, which is this, my friend. People are fed up to their eyeballs with justice that works one way for one group and another way for another group. And currently right now on the streets where I live, people are getting mowed down by the police force without a trial, without any justification, and yet we're supposed to sit back and take it. So you wonder why we're ready to explode in the street. We're sick and tired of these mealy-mouthed, $20 lawyer words coming out of their mouth and not telling the truth. Hey, Ike, i got to ask you. uh, There was a a cop down there. I forgot the name of the town. Apparently a very small town in South Carolina. Uh, Yeah, the sheriff in Utahville. He just finally after... After three years, all of a sudden, he finally got arrested for shooting an unarmed black man who happened to be the manager of a Walmart that everybody knew, and he was the nicest man in the world. He went up there to argue about a traffic ticket that was given to his son or daughter, and he argued with the sheriff there, or the police chief, and lo and behold, the police chief took out a gun and shot him right out in the parking lot and shot him and killed him. But you know what? I find it rather curious, the timing. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't been paying attention, uh, you know, on Facebook, uh, basically it's coming out of woodwork now from all over the country. We're getting video. We're getting all kinds of different reports. And we're seeing 
uh, all from L.A. to 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 Missouri to you name it, Phoenix, where these cop these cops are literally mowing people down. We've got them on video doing it, and uh, you know people are just they're they're waking up now. And uh, and 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 Illinois, you can pass that law in Illinois that you can't tape a cop. But I got news for you: the Supreme Court's already ruled on that. You have no expectation of privacy, and that law is illegal. So I urge everybody. Anytime you see a police officer interacting with anybody, I don't care if they're just writing them a ticket, stop, get out your camera phone, and video it, because that's the only way we're going to stop them. Very good point, Ike. Listen, thanks for calling, man. Thanks for holding out for so long as well. Hey, hey brother, you know me. I, I, I hold, and I, you know, I, I'm just mad as hell, buddy. I, I you understand. Know, you call it the way you see it, and I've always appreciated that about you. I appreciate it, Mark. Y'all have a good one up there. All right, you take care. It's yep. 22 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. Our number is 888-888-8744-888. You heard Ike. Uh, Ike is an intense cat. Man. I've never met him, but, man, he's intense uh, when he starts talking about some of these things that he considers to be outrageous. Well, what about this budget? Is it an outrage? Did the Democrats participate in the outrage? What about this torture report? Uh, you know, what troubles me about I got to be honest with you. What troubles me about it is, A, the CIA lied to Congress. Now, they'll lie under normal circumstances. They lied to Congress, apparently. That's what the Congress is saying. They're saying that the, the whole thing about the uh, enhanced techniques, uh, that, 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 uh, the, the whole narrative that, that helped them get Osama bin Laden, they said that was a load of crap, too. So what are we supposed to believe as Americans? And more, just as importantly, if the president says all this stuff is not us, how do we explain to anybody who sits there and looks at it objectively how and why it is not us? Because I got to be honest with you. I think it is us. I think this torture, you know, whatever rectal infusions, whatever you want to call it, I think it's, it, it is what we have become. And that's sad, man. That is truly sad. We're going to take a break. It's 20 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. we got a bunch of other stuff to cover, including to the ridiculous with a very, very, very familiar figure. Uh, and uh, a New York elected official who said both sides in the Garner situation, the Rudy Giuliani's of the world and the protesters, have gone too far. Jason, we got a little music we can play for a minute? Bet. We'll be right back. We're back 19 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. You know, uh, every now and then, there is an issue that comes up 
that I, I, I can't figure out whose side I'm on. <laughs> i got to be honest with you. I cannot figure what side I'm on. Such is the proposal, and now a bill in the New York City Council, to ban what some are calling the iconic horse carriages, most of which ply their trade in Central Park, but not all of them. Uh, big rally the other day. Actually, two rallies the other day, one by animal rights advocates and another uh, another by drivers of horse-drawn carriages. Now, first, let me say, Jason, I love horses, man. I've loved horses since I was a little kid. Uh, something about, you know, the whole Hopalong Cassidy, Roy Rogers thing that I used to watch on TV. I don't know. You know my, my father was not a big fan of my watching him, uh, but that's another story for another day. But, you know, I used to want, and, and the horses were the things that I, I was like, yo, look at that. I didn't say yo, but I, look at that. Look at these horses. And the horses and the fact that I, I've, I've always loved them and the fact that these are union workers would make me tend to side with opposing the ban because these folks you know, need to make a living. I think they're, they're all, the, the city's latest offer is to give each of them six grand so they could get a green taxi license. That's not the same thing. At least I don't think it's the same thing. Uh, the other side of the equation is there have been allegations that the horses have been mistreated, that they work too long, that they don't belong on the streets of the city. Now, I could make the case, and I, I again, I'm not saying which way I go with this, but I could make the case that, you know, gas-belching, gigantic SUVs got no place on the streets of this city. But no, people would argue with me about that, I guess. My thing is, what what's best for the horses? What's best for the drivers? Is it really that the horses are abused? There were uh, numerous reports some years ago now that the horses were, in fact, abused, that they weren't properly cared for, their hooves would split, bunches of stuff like that. It appears in the intervening years, at least if you hear the drivers talk about it, that, you know, they woke up and smelled smelled the coffee and, in fact, cleaned up their act. If that's true then I'm cool with the horses. Now, I have to say, I've never ridden in one of those carriages. You know, if I go into Central Park, it was usually to either walk around or bike, because I love to bike. But uh, the horses were never, you know, to me, that's a tourist thing. You know, I'm, although, you know, you look at them and you think, you say, hey, you know, you got something to do on a, on a Friday. You got nothing to do. <laughs> I don't know how you have nothing to do on a Friday night in New York City. Uh, to me, you don't have much of a life if you don't, but if you don't have anything else to do, or if you're from out of town and you're visiting our great city, uh, you know, getting a horse-drawn carriage, ride around the park, it's a nice thing to do, especially at night. But the animal rights activists say that it's wrong and that these horses should be banned. The horse-drawn carriages should be banned. Now, the city council is going to decide this. 
despite the fact that there was a poll over the summer that said New Yorkers overwhelmingly opposed the ban. Uh, a majority of the city council seems to be just like me. They can't make up their minds what they want to do with these horse, horse-drawn carriages. My instinct, if I was put, and I t- tend to look at things in terms of balance, okay? On the balance scale, I would tend to lean slightly toward letting the horses stay, letting the carriages stay. See, because some of the union people, I don't know whether they're hyping this up or not, but some of the union people say, well, if you ban them, then these horses are going straight to the slaughterhouse. I wouldn't want to see that happen. And, you know, animal rights activists, uh, you know, if, if they're doing this knowing that this is the case, shame on them. Now, the other side of this is that there are people, and I've heard them on radio, union people saying that some of the animal rights activists have deliberately tried to spook horses and have verbally gone after and verbally targeted tourists who ride in the horse-drawn carriages. Now, that's their right as Americans. But it's tacky, okay? It's tacky to, to, you know, yell at a tourist because they want to take a ride through Central. But come on, man. You better take yourself down to the council and see if you can get some of those undecided council members to see things your way. Hollering and screaming at a tourist, to me, is wrong. Trying to spook a horse is wrong. So, again, I would tend to lean slightly. I, I, and by the way, that doesn't mean necessarily if I was a member of the council, which God forbid I ever would be. But if I was a member of the council, I'm not absolutely certain I would vote to oppose the ban. I don't know. I don't know where my vote would go in the end. I'd, I'd have to see some more compelling evidence. Now, the Eric Garner situation has, uh, for those of you who don't know this already, it's taken on a life of its own completely. You know, you get uh, you get Rudy Giuliani on TV every other day, hollering and screaming about how he saved black lives and how blacks should do this and blacks should do that. There was somebody on Fox News the other day that said that uh, black people uh, ought to be trained to show more sensitivity toward the police. I don't, I don't know what they smoke over there at Fox News. I really don't. Uh, but, you know, this is what they come with. And my job is to let you know that this is what they come with. Uh, The other side of the equation is that the protests, although they seem to have been mellowed out a little bit, but they haven't stopped. They have not stopped. And I have to say, I salute the people who have organized them, even though there's been like 300 arrests. I don't know how many of them are for real, how many of them are bogus. But given the number of protesters and given the length and duration of the protest, 300 people isn't really that many. Remember, during the Republican convention in 04, they had 8,000 people over at the impound. Not 300, 8,000 people at the impound. So the other day, members of the city council, and again, I applaud them for this, they actually uh, did a die-in <laughs> before they went into their regular session. Uh, you know, obviously symbolic. Obviously not the first time it's been done. It was done during Diallo. I remember former Mayor David Dinkins got busted protesting Diallo. 
current Bronx Borough president, Ruben Diaz Jr., who at that time was an assemblyman, got busted protesting Diallo. So, you know, uh, it, it's there's nothing new under the sun, I guess. But this is what we got going on here, folks. And I would think that if uh, anything permanent comes out of this, and it's interesting, there are people who are, you know, calling out Eric Schneiderman, the attorney general, says he wants the responsibility of investigating and possibly prosecuting cops accused of wrongdoing against citizens, including shooting them. One of the first people to stand up and say, oh, no, you don't, is the Brooklyn District Attorney Ken Thompson, who I think, if, if, and, you know, I know the man and, and I consider him to be a friend. So I'm going to say this in that context, full disclosure, if there's anybody who I think would vigorously prosecute wrongdoing by police is Ken Thompson of the of the five DAs. If Ken Thompson had the evidence and put it before a grand jury, I'm pretty sure Ken Thompson come back with an indictment. And I'm not talking about necessarily the Garner case, just a case where a cop shot an unarmed citizen. Now, he's going to be put to the test because that cop that supposedly accidentally killed that guy in a stairwell in Brownsville, he's convening a grand jury as Ken Thompson. And uh, how best to put this? All eyes are on him in that regard. But one of the more interesting permutations of all this has been Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Now, again, a person I know, a person I respect a great deal, one of the founders of 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care. Eric Adams essentially says that both sides in the divide over the Garner decision have gone too far. He denounced remarks about policing from both former Mayor Rudy Giuliani and what the Observer calls far-left protesters. Eric Adams says he belongs to a silent majority of Americans who favor a centrist approach to the Garner case and other cases around the country, whether it be Cleveland, Phoenix, uh, Ferguson, wherever. A centrist approach. Now, understand that Eric Adams is not speaking into a vacuum. Eric Adams has ambitions. And those ambitions are best served by casting himself as a black centrist. That I understand. But I wonder if people say, if if people believe that both sides in the Garner situation have gone too far. I, you know, if by too far he means that there are people who are protesting Garner who tend to lump all cops together, maybe he's got a small bit of a case in that. Uh, because, but see, the other side of that is I don't hear that many people who are protesting Garner say that. I really don't. Saying that, uh, you know, that, that there's what he calls inflammatory anti-police rhetoric, which has been employed at recent mass protests. I haven't heard it. Now, I haven't been at the protests. I don't know if he has. Uh, but but I don't I don't hear inflammatory anti-police rhetoric. You know, Patty Lynch probably does, the head of the PBA. He hears anti-police rhetoric coming out of everybody who protests Sarah Garner. The fact of the matter is most New Yorkers know 
that most cops do a good job. Most cops are not brutal. Most cops don't go out shooting up black people or Latinos. It's not most cops. Be crazy if you said so. Now, the the Rudy Giuliani part, (laughs) hey, I fully agree with him on that. I don't know, and and I've said this before, I don't know why the deuce Rudy Rudy Giuliani gets so much airtime. Hey, Jason, why does Rudy Giuliani get so much time on TV? Does he, like, treat the producers at Fox News to Chinese when he comes up in the green room? Oh, okay, yeah, maybe he got... Well, now they got NYP plates. He ain't got to worry about them getting out of tickets. <laughs> you know, they don't issue tickets to NYP plates. But I, I don't know. Uh, all I know is uh, it paints, to me, it paints a false veneer of balance in this thing. And I, I say that uh, because... They, at least as far as I can tell, Jason, they can't find anybody else. You know, I mean, they'll get criminologists on. they get people I respect, like Professor Eugene O'Donnell from John Jay and other people who got some sense. But Rudy Giuliani, is, is he might as well have some robes on and call himself Moses. <laughs> you know what I mean? The savior of the blacks. <laughs> Come on, man. Nobody's buying that snake oil out of you. Or maybe some people are. I don't know. And then, of course, they they do the obligatory polling, (coughs) which says most people support the decision in Ferguson, but most people oppose the decision on Staten Island. I I, I don't know where that comes from. And to be real honest with you, I could care less. Now, the cops shot and killed a guy in Crown Heights the other day. And and uh, uh, from what I've read about it, and only from what I've read about it, it was a perfectly righteous and legitimate shoot. This was a guy, and apparently he was disturbed, which, you know, I don't know if that means he wasn't taking his meds or whatever. But he stabbed the guy in the head, and there's video of, of a cop telling him, please, put the, put, the gun, uh, put the knife down, put the knife down, many, many times. And finally, apparently, the guy lunged at him, and the cop shot him, one bullet, killed him. And, and, you know, some people said it was an act of terror, and then the police said no. Others want to know whether it should be branded as a hate crime. What difference does it make? The guy's dead. Uh, my best guesstimate here is that this was SBC, suicide by cop, with some anti-Semitism thrown in for bad measure. You don't go to a synagogue and start stabbing people. What's wrong with you? And by the way, this is a synagogue that is famous in Brooklyn for its openness. Its doors are open to all people. And he apparently stabbed an Israeli student on, in the side of the head for an unknown reason. Now, maybe he had a mental problem. That's possible. But I, I think he wanted to die. I got to be honest with you. You confront cops who got guns pointed at you. And you don't drop the knife? That sounds to me like suicide by a cop. I could be wrong, but hey, you know, I've been wrong before. The mayor, and the city of New York, that is, has reached an agreement with eight labor unions. Count them, eight. Tentative contract agreements. That makes 71% of the city's unionized workforce he's made deals with. This one is a little better than some of the others. They get an additional, and these are the Uniform Superior Officers Coalition, they get an additional 1% raise compared to a deal 
that was struck with other unions. Now let's see what happens with the other uniform unions that he has not managed to make a deal with. We're almost out of time. So, uh, Jason, take a wild guess who my two the ridiculous is tonight. This has... Yes! Oh, that's what you had to pay for. You No, that's cheating, man. But, yeah, Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, a man who... Uh, I can't believe was a heartbeat from the presidency. <laughs> Absolutely a heartbeat from, from the thinking presidency. So uh, Juan Kett, which never misses an opportunity to be snarky, said uh, we should also consider the very important rebuttal by former Vice President Dick Cheney, who took a break from his afternoon routine of swallowing live kittens to tell the New York Times that the report, which he hadn't read, was naught but hogwash. Quote, what I keep hearing out there is they portray it as a rogue operation and the agency was way out of bounds and then they lied about it. I think it's all a bunch of hooey. I haven't heard the term hooey since Hee Haw went off the air. The program was authorized. The agency did not want to proceed without or authorization. And it was also reviewed legally by the Justice Department before they undertook the program. <laughs> You're a funny guy, Dick. You're a really funny guy. Do you know Kevin Hart? <laughs> Y'all could team up and do a show together. Chris Rock should have had you in that new movie he's got coming out. Anyway, time for me to go. Thank you so much, Jason Taubenfeld, as always, for your engineering expertise. Thank you all so much for listening. Keep listening to the Progressive Radio Network. We'll be back next Wednesday, 6 o'clock, all the way live. My name is Mark Riley. This has been The Mark Riley Show. Have yourselves a great evening and a better week ahead.